0: And while they're doing that, let me begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. Thank you for all of these dear people who you've brought together here. I pray, Lord God, that uh, whether people are Christians here, are seekers, or are skeptics, you have something to say to us in your word today. And so I pray, Lord God, that your message individual heart here will get through. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. People are an interesting mix of contradictions, aren't they? On the one hand, we would like to have a relatively good, fulfilling life. And most of us think that we are pretty decent people. And whether we say it out loud or not, we think we deserve a relatively good and fulfilling life. And that may be, at least in part, behind why we get so upset, abnormal, when things don't go our way. Particularly, beset with significant health or financial or relationship problems. Hand, if we look deeply enough at ourselves, (coughs) we realize that our entire lives are all about me, what I want for myself and for those I care about. In other words, we are all radically self centered. And more than that, we realize I'm not really that good and decent on the inside. I don't deserve. A good, easy, satisfying life. Because I can't even meet my own standards, let alone God's. Now think about it. God is perfect. So that is his standard. Perfection. Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, And Jesus brought this home uh, more specifically when he also said that the entire Bible... Is summarized in just two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with that? Love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I'm lucky if I even think about Him five minutes a day. And love my neighbor as myself? That means I would have to spend the same amount of time thought, energy, and money seeking the well-being of others that I use seeking my own well-being. So what do we do? We want, and part of us thinks that we deserve God's favor and the fulfillment that living in, uh, in His favor would bring, while the rest of us realizes that we are so far from deserving God's favor that we really have no hope of ever getting it. Well, today's passage of Scripture, Luke 7, verses 24 through 35, addresses this issue that all of us faces. It is all about the gospel. Uh, In other words, it is all about the only way we can obtain God's favor and the fulfillment that living in God's favor uh, uh, brings us. I'm reading here from the English Standard Version, which is the same version that was passed out to you. Luke 7, beginning at verse 24. And uh, this is beginning by talking about when it says John, it's talking about John the Baptist. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one, her children. We're going to briefly look at the background of this passage, and then we will go through the passage in order to see two things. Number one, the significance of John the Baptist. And number two, the nature of the gospel and people's responses to the gospel. But first, a bit of background. Jesus had just healed a centurion's servant and raised a young man from the dead. (coughs) Pardon me. Um, And John the Baptist's disciples reported back to him what Jesus had done. So John sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Are you really the expected Messiah, or should we look for someone else? Now, why did he ask this? Remember, John the Baptist himself had previously acknowledged that Jesus was the expected Messiah when he said in John 1, Behold, the Lamb of God. He has a higher rank than I have because he is pre-existent. But then John the Baptist had been thrown into prison by Herod, and Jesus had neither freed him from prison nor had ushered in the kingdom by overthrowing the Romans, as John the Baptist and others probably had expected the Messiah to do. So when John's disciples asked Jesus, Are you the expected one? Jesus heals the sick, gives sight to the blind, and says to John's disciples in verse 22, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. In saying that, Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 about what would happen when God himself, in the person of the Messiah, came to earth. And Jesus was saying, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of those prophecies. I am God himself come to earth. Well, then John the Baptist's disciples Leave and Jesus speaks to the people, beginning with the significance of John the Baptist. In verses 24 through 26, Jesus in substance says, You people went out into the wilderness not to see a reed shaken by the wind or a comfortable, well off man. You went to see someone different, someone who rejected the easy life but lived a hard life. In the desert. You recognized that he was a prophet, but he was not just any prophet. He was a unique prophet because he was the one appointed by God to directly prepare the way for and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And then in verse 27, Jesus quotes from Malachi 3 verse 1 concerning John the Baptist. Behold. I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. These fulfilled prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi, which had been written hundreds of years beforehand, show that there is a God who is orchestrating history in accordance with his plan. Jesus then concludes his discussion of John by saying in verse twenty. 8a, the beginning of verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now, why was no one greater than John the Baptist? The reason can only be his unique uh, role in proclaiming to the world, this Jesus is the long-awaited and expected Messiah. But note what Jesus then immediately goes on to say in the second part of verse 28. He says, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, is greater than John the Baptist. Why is that? Jesus is saying that despite John's unique calling and his fulfillment of prophecy, John the Baptist was only the forerunner. You might say that John was the last of the Old Covenant prophets. But John did not know what God uh, was going to do through Jesus to bring about the salvation of humanity through the cross. He did not know about the coming resurrection and ascension, about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, or of the baptism, indwelling, and sealing of believers by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling us that every believer today has a more intimate relationship with God through Christ than even John the Baptist had. Every believer today has the whole counsel of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Thus, every believer today can testify uh, to God's plan and his or her personal experience with Jesus in a way that John the Baptist never could. What are we doing with this vastly greater spiritual knowledge and experience? We are the light of the world. If people do not hear from us of the new life that only Jesus can give, and if people do not see that new life in us, then how can they come to new life themselves? Now, John the Baptist's message essentially had been, repent and be baptized and then go and bear the fruit of repentance in how you live because judgment is coming. The people uh, that Jesus is talking to in this passage had all heard John the Baptist preach. And in verses 29 and 30, Luke, the people heard this and the tax collectors too. They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But, but, the, but, the, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of themselves, not having been baptized by him. Notice that it was the religious leaders who had not repented, been baptized, or changed their lives, even though they all also had listened to John the Baptist. Now, this is of huge importance because Luke says in verse 30 that the Pharisees and the lawyers, quote, rejected God's purpose for themselves, end quote. That has got to be one of the most sobering statements in the Bible. But it should cause every one of us to ask, have I rejected God's purpose for my own life? Or in what particular ways am I rejecting God's purpose for my life? Now, you are here and listening to this message for a reason. And it may be because you know that in some area of your life, you are rejecting God's lordship over your life. And if that is the case, please repent and change and bear the fruit of true repentance. Now, Jesus picks up on this in verses 31 through 35, where he talks about the gospel and people's responses to the gospel. Now, those verses are directed primarily... Uh, to religious people like the Pharisees. In other words, people, perhaps like us, who outwardly are leading respectable, decent lives, but in one way or another are rejecting God's purpose for their lives. And we know that these verses are directed primarily to people like the Pharisees because in verse 31, Jesus talks about the people of this generation. Now, in the New Testament, the phrase this generation almost always has a negative connotation. It is not limited to the people of the generation living 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking the earth. Instead, it refers to people of any time and place. And Hebrews 3, verse 10 makes this clear. When it quotes... Regarding this generation. There, he says, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. Now, in verse 32, Jesus himself describes this generation. He compares people to self-centered children who always want their own way. Now, in Jesus' day, The biggest happenings in the villages were weddings and funerals. Wedding celebrations could last several days with music, drinking, and dancing. So the children would say, let's play wedding or let's play funeral. But Jesus observes, one person says, let's play wedding and dance. But you say, no, that's too happy. I don't want to do that so the person says then let's play funeral but you say no that's too sad i don't want to do that either what jesus is saying is you're not satisfied with anything and you're finding no lasting fulfillment because you're not getting your own way you want to set the rules but even if you did that you would not satisfied or find the fulfillment you are seeking. And he makes this clear in uh, verses 33 and 34. Because the example of the children is epitomized by people's responses and reactions to John the Baptist and to Jesus himself. Um, In verses 33 and 34, Jesus talks about this. You might say, Uh, he's picking up on what he said in verse 32, where he talked about uh, the dance and the dirge. Uh, You might say that John the Baptist represents the dirge of death. John himself did not drink alcohol. He forsook a comfortable lifestyle. His message was one of repentance in the light of coming judgment. Yet the respectable people attacked him. On the other hand, Jesus himself represents the dance of life. He drank wine. In fact, his very first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding celebration. He miraculously fed people, and he hung out with people of all types, including not very respectable types. And the respectable people attacked him, too. You see, Jesus is really talking about the gospel and people's reactions to the gospel. And this is key to understanding this passage. And it is the key to obtaining God's favor and finding satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Now, the word gospel means good news. What is the good news? Well, the good news begins with the bad news. And this is what makes Christianity from every other religion, worldview, and philosophy that has ever existed. You see, only Christianity, only the gospel, has a credible answer to people's innate need for God's favor because only Christianity has an accurate diagnosis of people's inherent problem. What do I mean? What I mean is this. There are lots of religions and worldviews in existence, but there are actually only two kinds of religion in the world. There is Christianity and everything else. What do I mean? What I mean is, other religion or worldview essentially says yes we have our faults and flaws after all we're only human but if we work hard enough make enough sacrifices and do enough good deeds then God or the gods or the powers that be will accept us and we will go to heaven or Nirvana or whatever good there may be out there for example Here are Buddha's last words to his followers. He said, Behold, O monks, this is my last advice to you. All component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Christianity is different Christianity alone says that every one of us is worse than we think we are. We all have a problem inside of us, in our heart, in the very core of our being. And we cannot change that no matter how hard we try. We are all warped and no amount of time, effort, resolutions, praying, fasting, meditation, volunteering at homeless shelters, or anything else changes that. In other words, Christianity says, if you want God's favor and the fulfillment that it will bring, it's not what you can do to bring that about, because you can do absolutely nothing. Instead, it's all about what God himself In the person of Jesus Christ has done for you. But first, we have to admit that. We have to admit it to ourselves and we have to admit that to God. And that's where John the Baptist comes in. I said earlier that John the Baptist represents the dirge of death, or you might say, the bad news of the gospel. Namely, that there is something fundamentally wrong with you. You are a sinner. um, And you cannot save yourself no matter how hard you try. So you need to look deeply into your own heart to uh, see yourself for what you really are inside and then cry out to God in repentance. In fact, Martin Luther recognized the true state of our hearts. In the 95 theses that he posted on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, which began the Protestant Reformation in 1517, the very first thesis was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, in Matthew 4, verse 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Luther knew that even Christians have the power of indwelling sin inside of us. Therefore, in our hearts, as well as in what we say and how we act, repentance has to characterize our entire lives. But that gets us to the good news. While both John the Baptist and Jesus himself preached that people needed to repent, There was a difference in focus between uh, John and Jesus. John's focus was on repentance in view of the soon coming judgment on sinners and on sin. Jesus' focus was on repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God is present and his kingdom, and all that that means for our lives, has been inaugurated and may be entered now. You can obtain God's favor now through Jesus. And that's why Jesus represents the wedding dance. His very first miraculous sign at the wedding uh, in Cana, in John chapter 2, was turning approximately 150 gallons of water into the best wine that people had ever drunk. What he was doing in Cana, and what he is telling us in verse 34 in today's passage, is, I have come as the Lord of the feast. The suffering, self-denial, and life of repentance are just a means to an end. I, the Lord of the feast, am the end. I have come to be your bridegroom and have a deeper, more loving, more intimate, more joyous, and more lasting relationship with you than the greatest, most loving, most committed bridegroom the world has ever seen. I have come so that every day will be a wedding feast and every night a wedding night now many people's experience of christianity or their impression of christianity is something like this suck it up just say no deny yourself all the things you really like try harder be better etc 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 People who think like that don't understand Christianity at all. In effect, they are stopping with John the Baptist and are forgetting Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus himself repeatedly talked about denying ourselves and going and sinning no more. But the question is, how can we do that and yet not live in the dirge, but have the joy of the dance, that Jesus promises. The answer to that question goes back to what we said earlier, that every other religion essentially says, if you want to obtain God's favor, it's all up to you and what you do. Christianity alone says, to obtain God's favor, it's not what you do at all. It's all about what Jesus did for you. You see, we cannot earn God's favor. Jesus earned it for us. And he offers it to us as a free gift. That is called grace. Grace is getting a good thing. Acceptance by God. God's favor. A new life that we have not earned and we do not deserve. All we can do is receive it by repenting of our worthless attempts at self-salvation and receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, when we do that, that gives me the ability to repent freely and fully, knowing that Jesus has paid the price for every internal and external sin that I commit. When I truly repent, although I feel sorry and ashamed for what I thought or said or did, I have the peace and joy of knowing that my sin has been completely forgiven because Jesus has already taken that sin and the penalty it deserves onto himself. Knowing that does not give me a license to continue to sin. Instead, it gives me a motive to stop sinning. Because now I think, how can I sin against the one who loves me and has done so much for me? How can I sin against the great love and Lord of my life? Additionally, Jesus makes extraordinary promises to us when we turn to him, which help me not only overcome my tendency to sin, but enable me to live a better life. When we come to him, we receive a new heart like his own. We receive his mind, his spirit, and eternal life, which, by the way, is not just living a long, long, long long time, but is a new quality of life. Jesus actually comes to live inside of us so that slowly by slowly he purges the sin and evil that is within us and makes us into the people he created us to be, the true you, the true me. That means a wholeness, an integrity, a peace a joy, a satisfaction, and a fulfillment we never could hope to achieve on our own. Jesus promises all of that to us if we come to him, and he not only promises it, he fulfills his promises to us. This whole passage is telling us that life with God is a life of repenting and rejoicing. But we need to understand something. If we come to true saving faith in Christ, that means that Christ has bought and paid for us. So we are no longer our own. That means that he is the one in charge of our lives. And that means that there is nothing that he cannot ask or demand of us. Now, some people... Find that scary. But you will only find that scary if you really have not seen the true state of your own heart. But instead think, yeah, I have certain foibles, but I can lick this on my own. And maybe Jesus can just top me up a little. Don't be naive. Instead, if we look deeply at who Jesus really is and what he has done, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, and paying the penalty for our sins that otherwise we would have to pay, never could, we can trust him all the way to the end. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he's smarter than we are because he's God who came to earth. And everything he does is because he loves us and wants the ultimate best for us. We may not understand everything that happens, but we can trust him. And we're foolish to think that we should try to control our own lives, which is doomed to fail anyway, when we can experience true life in him. Now, Jesus himself concludes in verse 35 by saying, wisdom is justified by all of her children. In other words... True wisdom recognizes need and acts upon it. John the Baptist was right. We need to repent and bear the fruit of true repentance. Jesus also was right. He came to call the lost and the broken, and we are all lost and broken. Of course, he was the friend of the outcasts of society, because we are all outcasts from God. And only Jesus is our friend who will lead us back to God. Now Christianity is the only religion or worldview that can put the dirge and the dance together. A life with God is a life of repenting and rejoicing. Now if you have not yet seen for yourself who you really are, Spend the time and thought necessary to see yourself clearly and deeply. Call out to God for him to reveal to you the real you that is inside, and then turn to Jesus for a new life. Now, if you have already done that, we need to continually be asking, Lord, Lord, Show me in what ways, in terms of my money, my time, my thought life, my relationships, or anything else. How am I rejecting your purpose for my life or your lordship over my life? When he shows you, make the changes you need to make, and he will enable you to do that. So let me conclude by saying this. New life in Jesus is not scary. It is an adventure. It is a life of repenting and rejoicing. In fact, we can rejoice in our repenting because we know and can trust the Lord of life. So keep repenting and rejoicing. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for challenging us, for challenging our lives in the person of John the Baptist and in you yourself come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord God, help us to see ourselves for what we truly are inside and help us to see you for who you truly are and for what you have truly done for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that if anyone here has not yet come to you as the Savior and Lord of his or her life, please cause them to do that today. They can do that when they're, as they're sitting here. They can do it inside uh, of themselves, Lord, and let that be true. And for those of us who have done that maybe years ago, Lord God, help us to stop putting up walls or barriers between us or you. Help us to stop trying to fool ourselves. Show us, Lord, how we are rejecting your lordship over, your li- uh, over our life in this, that, or the other area. To see that clearly and to repent of it truly. And Lord God, we draw upon your strength and your power uh, to do this so that we can live lives just like yours. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. MBC